Hey, good morning, Campbell. Whether you're here in person or watching online, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, my name is Sean. I'm one of the ministers here at Campbell. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, I'd love to have that opportunity after our service this morning. Now, I will tell you, it can be a little bit awkward during our greeting time this morning as we're doing communion. I asked a 16-year-old if she was married to her brother. I didn't mean to do that. I just, when you get old, you kind of lose sight of perspective of age. And so... It can be awkward when you meet me, but we'll get through it. Uh, glad that you're here. If you would this morning, imagine with me for just a moment. You're sitting in a coffee shop. You're having a conversation with a close friend. When out of the blue, just out of the sudden, a stranger walks over to your table and asks this question, what are the two of you talking about? Now, how does that hit you? If it's a normal day, you're probably thinking, who are you and what business is it of yours? But this just isn't a normal day. Uh, in fact, the date is September 14, 2001. You're sitting in a coffee shop in New York City. Now what's going through your mind? What's probably going through your mind is, what am I talking about? What's, what's everybody talking about? In a city that loves to talk about politics and sports and food and fashion and art, there's still only one topic that's being discussed, and that's the attack on the World Trade Center. And to come into contact with a person who seems to be so out of touch with what's going on in the world, that'd be hard to get your mind around, right? Now, I want you to imagine that because I'm hoping that you might be able to now identified just a little bit with a man that we meet in Scripture by the name of Cleopas. And we meet Cleopas on that first Easter morning. Actually, it was just called Sunday back then. But three days after one of the most heinous miscarries of justice that the world has ever seen, this man Cleopas and another person, we don't know exactly the identity of this other person. It might have been his wife. It might have been a close friend. But the two of them head out of the city of Jerusalem, and they're, and they're walking towards a village called Emmaus. And as they're making this seven-mile trek, they're talking with each other, and they're discussing all the horrific events that have just taken place in Jerusalem, and then also a startling rumor that had begun to circulate on that very morning, when all of a sudden, a stranger cuts in on their conversation and this is the question this stranger asked, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And this question stopped those two dead in their tracks. In fact, Luke goes on to write this, they stood still, their faces downcast. The word Luke uses in the original language indicates that they came to a complete stop. They didn't keep walking and talking. They just, they stopped dead in their tracks. And for a few seconds or perhaps for a few moments or minutes, they just stood there with their chins sagging and fighting back the tears. Until finally Cleopas found it within himself to ask a question in return. And his question was this, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days. 
Let me translate that into our modern language. Dude, have you been living under a rock? Man, where have you been? How is it possible that you don't know what's taking place within the city of Jerusalem? It is the only thing that people are talking about right now. But then the stranger asks a second question. The question he asks is, what things? What things? And so Cleopas and his travel companion make the decision, well, maybe this guy doesn't know. And so we'll bring him up to speed. And they begin to unpack what has taken place. Luke chapter 24, verse 19 and 20. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 24, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said, he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. As mystifying it was to Cleopas that the stranger was so unaware, the real head-scratcher for us is that they didn't realize the one they were speaking about, or the one they were speaking about was the one they were speaking to. Now, now, we know this now because Luke, the writer, was kind enough to give us a heads up at the beginning of this story. He opens his story like this, Luke chapter 24 and verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Jesus is a stranger, the same Jesus that they listened to preach. The same Jesus that they witnessed do miracles. The same Jesus that they went to parties with. The same Jesus that they watched ride into Jerusalem on a donkey like a conquering king. The same Jesus that they had just witnessed be nailed to a cross and laid in a tomb. This same Jesus is standing right in front of Cleopas, and Cleopas does not recognize him. That stirs up a question in me. How can that be? Well, Luke has an explanation, and Luke's explanation is this. They were kept from recognizing him. Okay, Luke, but that doesn't help a lot. What kept them from recognizing him? And Luke goes silent. We don't know for sure. But I tend to agree with those who suggest this, that the reason they did not recognize Jesus is because his body had been transformed. That yes, he was bodily present. Please understand this. He was bodily present. He was not a ghost. He was not a sweet memory, as some people suggest. He was physically present, but his body had been made wonderfully new. And this body that they were now seeing, they did not recognize initially. Now, just a side note. One of the great promises of Scripture is this, is that when Jesus returns to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, and all of those who are dead rise, 
those who are followers of Jesus, they will be given a new body, a glorified body. It is a body that will not ache or break. It was a body that will not get fat or go, old, or go bald. How about that? <laughs> and I'm just going to tell you, when you see me in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to have a hard time recognizing me because I'm going to have a full head of hair and I'm hoping for some muscles, okay? That's what we're hoping for when that happens. But it's going to be a different body a new body, a glorified body, a better body. As we reflect on this conversation that Jesus had with these two grieving disciples, I hope you'll take note that Jesus doesn't wait for people to find him. He didn't wait for Cleopas to decide to investigate this rumor about his resurrection. He went to Cleopas to prove to him it was true. That's just who Jesus is. Jesus goes after people. He goes after people. He pursues them. He's so desired for us to understand this is his nature that on one particular occasion he told a story, simple story. It was a story about a shepherd who had a flock of a hundred sheep. And Jesus said, one of those little sheep, it went missing. And that shepherd decided, you know what? I'm going to drop everything and I'm going to pursue that one little sheep. Even though I've got 99 that are just fine and secure, I'm going to still go after and pursue that one sheep. And Jesus told that story so that we might understand that he is the good shepherd and he's willing to drop everything to pursue those who intentionally or unintentionally lose sight of him. Now, why does he do that? He does that because he loves people. He loves people. He doesn't just tolerate people. He doesn't just like people. He loves people with every fiber of his being. You may be here this morning out of a favor to a friend or a family member, but here's what I, I want you to know this morning. Jesus showed up in this place to meet you. He did. And even though you may not recognize him this morning, he's going to continue to pursue you in hopes that one day you will. Because Jesus so desires to share with you every blessing that he has in store for you than he desires for your life. This morning I've invited uh, Debbie Bann to come to the stage and share just how she's experienced this truth in her own life. Uh, Debbie mentioned to me that it was one year ago on Easter Sunday that her and her family came to worship here at the Campbell Church. I didn't realize that, but I am so incredibly thankful. Come on up, Debbie. This family has immediately plugged in with us. They've served in so many ways, and we are blessed, and we're a better family because they're here. Thank you for being here, and thanks for sharing your story. <laughs> so when I was born, the Chinese government had two children policy in place. And my parents already had two daughters, but my mom was very certain that I was going to be a boy. Thank God ultrasound was not accessible back then. So needless to say, the day that I was born was not a happy day for anybody, or the days after that. My parents were faced with a hefty fine, plus an extra mouth to feed when they were already struggling financially. And I was told that there were going to be some political um, penalties as well. 
they wanted to do all that for a boy, but not for me. So growing up, my clothes and shoes never fit. I never had school supplies. I was asked to borrow. I don't know how you can borrow school supplies all day long. And anything that needed extra money to do or, or I didn't get to do or, or go. And no one ever cared if I came home for lunch or dinner. So we immigrated to Houston, Texas when I was 12. When I turned 13, my parents found me a job washing dishes at a Chinese restaurant on the weekends. When I was 14, my dad took me to Kmart one day. He bought me a shirt. After he checked out before we left the store, he handed it to me and said, this is the last thing we're going to buy for you. You're on your own financially. To this day, I can never forget that day. It was as if he was saying that all these years of, of mistreatment and neglect is because we didn't want you. Things at home were bad, but school was great. I learned English really quickly, and I was a straight-A student in my freshman year. I was really active in school, and I was making a lot of friends. School was a happy place for me. Around that time, I met a girl from Taiwan. She didn't speak English, so I spent a lot of time translating for her. And one day she said, do you know Jesus? Do you know that our, our God loves us? He's our Heavenly Father, and his only son, Jesus, died for us. And she invited me to go to our church. Religion was never something we talked about in China, but I went to her church anyways. She had gone to a really charismatic church where everybody spoke in tongue, and people were falling backwards, left and right, crying, and it terrified, terrified me to death, and I ran out of there as soon as I could. I was certain that she was in a cult. She needed to be saved and not me. That summer, my parents opened their own restaurant, and I was required to work from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. at night. When school started my sophomore year, I would get off the bus at 3 o'clock and walk to the restaurant and work until 11 during the week. And on the weekends, I was required to work from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. again. I couldn't go to any of the after-school activities that I enjoyed so much, and I quickly went from a straight-A student to failing honors geometry and history. I was so tired that I just I couldn't stay awake through those two classes. School was the only thing that was good for me at the time, and that was taken away too. And my parents always fought like cats and dogs, and the years that they had the restaurant, their fights intensified. It was miserable at home. Everything just felt so dark and miserable. I hated them. I hated everything. I didn't realize at the time I probably had depression from all that. My friend didn't give up talking to me about Jesus, but I had no interest. I mean, I wasn't even mad, right? Because when you don't have religion, things, bad things happen to you because you're not lucky. When there is a religion, when there is something to believe in, bad things still happen to you. It makes you so mad, and I didn't want to hear anything about it. I mean, how can he be real, right? How can he love me when my parents didn't? How do you love someone and let them suffer? Fast forward to senior year, I started applying for colleges. I couldn't wait to get out of the house as soon as I could. Well, then I found out that I didn't have a valid visa for college. We came on a visitor's visa that was only good for six months. We've been illegal all these years. I didn't know. So my only option at the time was Baylor University of Waco. It was a, a private Baptist university three hours away from Houston. I was so happy to be away from them and from the restaurant. I hated the restaurant business. 
A few weeks into the first semester, I made friends on the girls next door. They went to church every Sunday, 8 a.m. I mean, you don't really know a lot of college students do that, right? So there was nothing to do at Waco back then. Back in the 90s, Walmart was, a fat, was the most fascinating thing you can find in Waco. So they invited me to go to church with them. They promised there was no speaking in time, nobody crying. <laughs> so I went, and Lakewood Christian Church at Waco was a nice and small conservative church. The pastor had a nice, easy message every Sunday. The young adult pastor was really humorous and fun. Soon I felt comfortable enough to tell them that I'm an atheist, I do not believe in God. Then week after week after week, I would challenge the Bible and the existence of God. I was so young and cocky and I wanted to prove that God didn't exist and I wanted to admit that. I want him to tell me that yes, God doesn't exist, we're living a lie. But little by little and little, I was less sure of what I believed in. But I couldn't say that there was no God. One day, after another round of smarty pants questioning from me, the young adult pastor asked that to me. Debbie, you're a very smart and bright young lady. You ask a lot of tough questions. But let me ask you this question. You were born in China to a family that already had two girls, and the government specifically said no more, right? You came all the way across the world to the US. And all the schools you could have gone to, you came here, to a Baptist university. You came to our church, nobody forced you, right? And you really think this is all by chance, that God had nothing to do with it. And for the first time in a long time, I didn't have a rebuttal for him. Really rare for me, I'm sure. And I said, no, I don't know that he's not real. But I can't, but I'm not convinced that he is. And I need to know either way. How would I know? He said, how about you just open your heart, you open up your heart and let him reveal himself to you. That is all I ask you. Keep an open heart and he will. So the weeks after that, I would pray this. I don't know that it was prayer, but I was just talking to God. I said, God, they say that you are real, but I can't see you, and I don't know you, and I can't feel you. If you are real, I need you to reveal yourself to me. I need to know without a doubt that you are real or you're not to me. A few weeks later, we went to see a movie called Shadowlands. That was way before many of y'all were, were born. The movie was about C.S. Lewis and his wife. So I didn't really pay attention to the plot at all. It was, it was as if that movie was made to answer all my questions and the last of my doubts. C.S. Lewis had talked about suffering and God's love several times from beginning to the end of the movie. And it just touched me so much that throughout those two hours, I could feel my heart changing. In the last scene, when Douglas asked C.S. Lewis, do you believe in heaven? He said, yes, I do. And I felt this tug in my heart. I felt God asking me, Debbie, do you see me? Do you believe in me? And I responded, yes, Lord, I do. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Debbie. The primary reason those two travelers didn't recognize Jesus may have been because he had a different appearance. But it's also hard to see when you have tears in your eyes. No doubt they did. I want you to listen to the grief-filled words of Cleopas, Luke chapter 24 and verse 21. We had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. They had high hopes. They had hopes for a better world, a more equitable world, a world in which they, Israel, were finally back on top. But all of those hopes were dashed. They were dashed when Jesus was nailed to a cross, pierced with a sword, and laid in a tomb. And this disappointment was so profound that if Jesus would have looked exactly the same, I have a feeling it would have been difficult for them in that moment to recognize him. You see, disappointment is blinding, as Debbie has shared with us. It's blinding. And the same thing can happen to us. Many person has been blinded by a career setback, a lost love, an injustice done to them. They've been blinded by the miscarriage of a child. When you're hit by those types of losses, it's nearly impossible to see anything other than your grief. But Jesus is still there. He's still there. You say, how can you be so sure? I'm sure because Jesus, who does not lie, made this promise to his disciples right before he went back to his Father in heaven. This was his promise, Matthew 28 and verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us always and forever. He's with us. And he desires to engage in conversation with you just as he did with Cleopas on that road if you're hurting. So talk to him. Talk to him about the things that have you all tangled up on the inside. Talk to him as Debbie did about your fears and your worries and your doubts and your disappointments. You talk to him. He's good with that. But then listen to him. Listen closely because Jesus will assure you that he can lift you out of the grief just as his father lifted him out of the grave. And it may be hard for some of you to believe this particular morning because maybe you are a little bit blinded by the hurt that you've experienced or are experiencing in this moment. But Easter assures us that there are better days ahead. Because Jesus has risen, he is alive, and he is with us always and forever. Now, it's a good thing that Jesus went after these disciples because they certainly weren't looking for him. Even though there was news that perhaps the tomb of Jesus was empty, they made the decision, let's just get out of town, instead of sticking around in Jerusalem, actually searching for him. And it makes sense. I mean, you can't really blame them, can you? Because a bodily resurrection, a resurrection in which you have a new glorified body that looks different, it's not even in their realm of thinking. It's not even something they have dreamed up. But it's within our realm of thinking because we're familiar with the story. We, we at least know the story, so we can kind of get our mind around that, but it doesn't mean that we necessarily believe it. A lot of people don't. 
There are many people who believe that seeing Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or Elvis eating a corn dog in 7-Eleven is just as likely as seeing a risen Jesus. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. That's okay. But here's what I'd ask of you. I would ask you to please at least investigate the historical evidence. Because I'm convicted that if you deal with the evidence, you'll come to a place in which you realize that there is much stronger evidence for a risen Jesus than for any other explanation. Than, than the explanation that his body was placed in a wrong tomb, or that it was stolen, or that the women went to the wrong tomb, or that somehow, some way, he survived the brutality of the cross, or that Jesus managed to sneak out of a tomb that was guarded by a huge, weighty stone and by Roman soldiers. There's far more evidence, convicting evidence, that he actually walked out of that grave. And many brilliant people like Debbie, have set out to prove the Jesus story false. And when they got serious about the evidence, it was too much for them to bear. Now, even though I believe that Jesus rose from the dead with every ounce, every fiber of my being, I will confess to you this morning that there are moments and there are times that I don't have the eyes to see Jesus. I don't. In his book, Jesus, a Pilgrimage, James Martin talks about a particular time in his life when ministry was very trying. He found himself praying over this particular story in Scripture. It wasn't the first time he had done this, but this time he came to a different realization. And I want you to listen to what he writes. Typically, when praying with his favorite passage, I'm reminded of places in which I have overlooked the presence of God in friendships, in family, in my community, in nature, in prayer, in the world around me, and I'm filled with a sense of gratitude. This time, however, I was reminded not only that suffering is part of everyone's life, but also that I hadn't been seeking God as attentively as I could have been. I wasn't paying attention. What about you? Are you paying attention? Are you looking for God? They're just saying, well, I am, but I, I don't see him. I don't sense his presence. Is he there? Yes, he is. And one of the best places you can go to have your eyes open to this reality is Scripture. In fact, this is where Jesus took Cleopas and his travel companion. We read in verse 25 through 27, He, Jesus, said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Please understand this. All of scripture, all of this points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus as being the one sent by God sent by God to usher in his kingdom reign, sent by God to defeat evil and death, sent by God to restore humanity into a relationship with God. It all points back to Jesus. And even though these disciples didn't initially recognize the presence of Jesus, even as he talked about the scriptures, they became far more aware of his presence in that moment. In fact, this 
This, these are the words they speak as they reflect upon this moment in which Jesus explained Scripture. They said, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while He talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? Where do you go when you find it hard to see Jesus? You go to Scripture. You go to places like Psalm 22. You go to a passage like Isaiah 53, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Revelations chapter 21. You go to any of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you just sit there and you spend time in those scriptures and you see that your heart begins to burn within you. Now, all those scriptures I've mentioned to you are at the bottom of your outline this morning, so take those home with you and you might reflect on those passages. But I also wanted to mention to you that next Sunday we're kicking off a brand new sermon series in which we're just going gonna to look at the life of Jesus as recorded by the gospel writer John. I'd love for you to come back and be with us for that series. And because we want Jesus' presence to burn within us, we've also made a slight change to our schedule today. In the past, we've typically ended with a brunch and then this huge Easter egg hunt, and it's been fantastic. But today, we're doing a storybook walk. There's eggs. Kids are going to get candy. But they're also going to walk through, and they're going to learn the story of Jesus. Because here's our prayer. Our prayer is that every single person walks out of this place, and even if they don't fully recognize Jesus, they feel something within them that says, maybe, just maybe, this story is true. And maybe, just maybe, it's a story that can change my life. But it wasn't just Scripture that opened the disciples' eyes. It was also spending time with Jesus at the table. We read in verse 30 and 31, When he, Jesus, was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I no doubt this pattern of take and break and bless and give it brought back to mind probably the feeding of the 5,000, or maybe they had talked to the 12 disciples and learned that Jesus did this similar pattern at the Passover supper just a few nights prior. But something there in that moment opened their eyes to say, this is Jesus. He's risen. It's the same person. He's here. He beat death. And I've found so often the same has been true for me. It's been around, sitting around the table that my eyes have been open, sitting around a table, a fire pit, in a booth at a restaurant, a fast food place, talking to other believers, laughing, sharing food, talking about life, sharing faith, that I become more aware of the presence of Jesus in my life. And so I want to encourage you this afternoon as you leave this place and you get ready to go have a nice meal with your family and your honey Easter eggs, take a moment just to have this conversation. How have you seen Jesus show up in your life this past year? You should listen to each other tell those stories, see if inside you don't begin to burn just a little bit with the presence of Christ. Of course, as I think about Jesus playing host over that simple supper with those two, I can't help but be reminded that it's when we come to take a meal, the Lord's Supper, communion, where Christ plays host, that we have the opportunity to have an eye-opening experience of Christ. Hopefully, you experience that this morning. It's our hope and prayer that you experience it every Sunday when you come to be with us. That's one thing we do. <clears throat> we take communion. We take the bread. <clears throat> we take the cup. 
because we want to be reminded that Jesus is present. He's with us. Now, as we bring this to a close, I want you to see something this morning. That oftentimes, to experience the presence of Christ, He pursues you, but you also have to invite Him to be a part of that experience, part of your life, similar to what Debbie did. He's not going to force Himself upon you. He waits to be invited. That's exactly what He did with these two. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if He were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. If it's your heart desire this morning to experience this Christ, the risen Jesus, I have no doubt that he'll show up and he'll present himself to you if you invite him. That he'll show up in scripture. He'll show up at a table, fellowship, or the communion. He'll show up... uh, as you spend time with other Christians, he'll show up in a movie that you didn't anticipate him showing up at, but he'll show up to make himself known to you. But he begins with that simple invitation. And when it opens your eyes, it changes everything. It, it did for these two on that road. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. On that first Easter Sunday, they left Jerusalem disillusioned, disappointed, uh, fearful. But then they met Jesus and their eyes were open and it changed everything. He's alive, he's present, he's with us always and forever. And what they do, they went right back to Jerusalem to share this good news. That's what we do. That is what we do as followers of Jesus. We walk away from a place where we know that we've been with Jesus, he's always with us. We go back into the world to proclaim this good news. Jesus is alive. He has risen. He's with us now and forever. And because he is, we have hope, we have joy, we have peace, we have purpose, we have life. And we praise our God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for what you've done for us. There is no possible way that we could ever repay that. But humility, we praise you, we worship you, we commit our lives to you, and we thank you. We are thrilled. We are thrilled that Jesus walked out of a grave because it means we don't have to fear death and we don't have to fear evil. And we are thrilled because it means that we can come to you and just enjoy relationship with you. Thank you for loving us so much. God, give us the courage to make this message known to others. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.